I'm Sarah Corbett and I run the Craftivist Collective, which means we do activism through needlework, which is slow, gentle, joyful activism. And uh, so what is a craftivist? I didn't coin the word craftivism, but for us, we've got a particular approach to craftivism where for us, craftivists tend to be people who are either bent out activists, so might have done loads of activism and feel completely wiped out and struggling a bit with trying to get the motivation to do it again. And also people who are often quite nervous of activism, so they want to make the world a better place and they believe it can be better, but they might be more introverted, more shy and quiet, tend to like doing crafty things, so might be a bit of a loner or just a bit of a warrior, a bit a person who's a bit nervous of traditional activist groups, which tend to be quite loud and extrovert and sometimes quite angry and threatening or quite negative. So our craftivists tend to be within that bunch, but we've got a, a massive um, eclectic mix all around the world. I, I wonder what, what's the, the history of it as an idea? I mean, the, the, I suppose that one of the earlier things that comes to mind is in uh, A Tale of Two Cities, that woman who sits and knits next to the guillotine during the revolution. <laughs> is that, I mean, is, is there like a rich history going back of, of, of this, do you think? I think there is. I mean... I got into it because I've been an activist from the age of three and of because I grew up in a low-income area with lots of activism happening, so I was squatting from the age of three. So my background is being around activism, seeing where it can win and doing stuff in politics in school and doing activism at university and then working as a professional campaigner for NGOs. And I got into the craft side as a reaction to a lot of the angry or quick activism that I didn't always think was that effective so I merged the two I didn't have a clue that there was a history of craft and activism to be honest I knew Gandhi had a spinning wheel but that was and I knew the suffragettes had their banners um, and the unions had their banners but I didn't I was very ignorant on it so there's definitely a massive history but I'm not the expert on it but I'm learning more and more about how it's been used I mean ours is quite different in that everything we do tends to be small rather than large so we don't make giant banners we do quite um subversive guerrilla craft or it's making handkerchiefs for politicians to build up relationships with them on the long term or it might be very much inner activism which is very slow and um, meditative and using craft for critical thinking so we think about what's our involvement in the world when can we be helpful not harmful what do we buy who do we vote for all of those things it feels quite different um, which is why I set up when I why I started doing craftivism because I couldn't find anyone using craft in activism or there wasn't any groups or projects um, so there was lots in history, but there wasn't anything I could do. So I started doing it. And so can you give us a sense of what what you do? What are some of your favourite projects that you've been involved in? I guess there's three main ones that I really like for different reasons. So, and they sort of have hinted at them. So we do these, um, we stitch on fabric footprints to keep for ourselves. And because stitching takes hours to do, it's hand embroidery, so it's very repetitive. It's really good to focus on one issue of 
what journey are we on as global citizens? What impact are we making on the planet step by step? And that's for people to keep somewhere in their home that they can see to keep reminding them to stay on the right track um, and be intentional in their living. And that's fascinating because that's quite a soft way into activism, which isn't too scary. People don't need to know lots of knowledge around particular issues like fracking or climate change, but they can think more holistically about value, values and morals and, you know, making the world a more healthy place. My particular favourite is I um, I made a handkerchief for my local MP at the time a few years ago because she was ignoring her office, were ignoring all my petitions and told me to stop contacting her, <laughs> um, which I was quite angry about. But it was a good challenge because it was good to to think, well, why doesn't she want me to contact her? And it was clearly because we had very different ideologies and she didn't see me as someone to win over to vote for her in the next election. And she really just saw me as a bit of a slacktivist. So I embroidered her a message on a handkerchief that was very timeless and encouraging about, I know being an MP is a tough and a big job, but please don't use, don't blow it. Use your power and influence the goods and I'm here to encourage you to do it. Um, and there's lots of smiley faces and yours in hope from Sarah and my postcode on so she was, knew I was a constituent and it was the only tool really that I went and met her because she has to because I'm a constituent and I gave her this handkerchief and she immediately warmed to me she opened up more about why she was an MP and what she wants to do we figured out where we could work together we could challenge each other in a more loving, respectful way where we disagreed, which helped me understand where she was coming from and some of the barriers around something she had to do. And she still has my hanky on her pin board in the office, and I'm known as the hanky girl in the office. But I, I think that really, you know, it seems quite cutesy and a little bit lame in a way, you know, embroidering a hanky for an MP. But the relationship I built with her from that catalyst of creating this beautiful, delicate, small thing with my handwriting with just backstitch over the top has really, you know, built a relationship with her of honesty and, and seeing where we can work together. And we have worked together on quite a lot of stuff, which I didn't think we would. And I've learned a hell of a lot on where she comes from in other ways. I don't, we don't always agree, but it's much, it seems like we're much better at being critical friends than aggressive enemies, which often as activists, we tend to sit in the park of aggressive enemies, sadly. Um, and then we do lots of street art and things as well that's small and provocative, not preachy. And that's quite good for social media. And we now have people around the world doing our projects um, and the street art helps with those conversations, creating those conversations around issues people might not normally talk about. What does um, craft uh, and using our hands in a creative way, what does it do to us? I was reading recently that the uh, average national attention span over the last 10 years has fallen from 12 minutes to five minutes. And they put a lot of that down to smartphones and iPads and Facebook and all that kind of stuff. Can craft be an antidote to that is it is it could you could you think of it as a as a kind of digital detox strategy yeah definitely and that's one of the reasons I started doing it you know I, I picked up a craft kit because I was traveling a lot with my job and I couldn't 
um, read on trains because I was getting travel sick and I was constantly online so I had huge targets I was working on a DFID project at the time and I was emailing whilst texting whilst you know writing stuff whilst doing documents and it was it was ridiculous really and I like many people have itchy fingers to physically make something or be creative and I immediately noticed that with when I talk about craft, I'm specifically only talking about hand embroidery and cross stitch. So not talking about woodwork or glasswork, which are different things. But the the work I've heard from clinicians and neuroscientists that I've been lucky enough to work with, there's a very unique benefits of craft is in that hand embroidery, which is what you've hinted at. The repetitive nature naturally slows you down helps with anxiety, helps with depression, helps you feel empowered. Um, you're physically making something, which is different to being online. And I think all of that is so useful for people trying to do social justice because often we're doing things online and we don't see a tangible difference. Often we're reading quite depressing, worrying things that we need to and want to read and understand, but it can get us in a downward spiral. So to be able to craft whilst learning and thinking about these complex issues really helps us stay sane, stay positive, see that we can physically make a difference because we're making things and slows us down. You know, we're not being distracted. You can spend hours crafting and thinking about the complexities of different issues and how it's all tangled up and we need to see where our you know, role is within what we can do and stop and think strategically as campaigners and not just rush off and do things with good intentions that might not sadly always end up with the best results. It's a really useful thing to do. And, you know, my craft, I run the Global Craftivist Collective now very much by accident because I started doing it on my own. People started sharing it online because it was interesting imagery. It was hand embroidery, which, you know, I started it six years ago. Six years ago, there wasn't much craft online, contemporary craft that people wanted to share. So it was quite shareable. And now, you know, we've got thousands of craftivists around the world because it translates really well online. So I wouldn't say you should hide away in a shed and do craft. I'd say do that and then come out the shed and Instagram it and Pinterest it and share it on Facebook and use it as a tool for conversation rather than as a goal in itself. It's there as a tool and a catalyst. I remember I watched this fantastic film that was a black and white film uh, made during World War Two, one of the sort of public information films, and I had this scene of someone giving a talk to a women's institute group in Derbyshire, in some village hall somewhere, and uh, all the women looked like out of Monty Python, you know, with these big coats and these big hats on, and they were all knitting. Every single person in the hall was knitting, and everybody used to do all that stuff, you know. But we've lost it more and more. I wondered what 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 you think as a as a culture, we lose when we stop using our hands in that way. Well, I think what's amazing is the last few years it's getting, you know, you see more and more young people and elder people knitting on trains and in conferences. There's more and more evidence now, which is brilliant, about how using your hands while you're listening and in a lecture or while you're around people helps you soak up more of that information because your brain is alert because you're using your hands and not just sitting still and wondering. And also, while you're crafting together, what's very unique about hand stitching as well 
more than lots of other creative crafts and arts is that you don't need eye contact so if you think of lots of activist meetings it can feel quite intimidating for someone new or shy to say anything because you've got to give eye contact and if you look at the table people think you're rude because you're not focusing or while you're crafting you don't need to look at each other so you can listen more intently and you can share things without having to give eye contact which for me, I do workshops all the time and all over Europe sometimes last year, which was amazing. And the things that people open up to, they would never have said, I'm thinking about this or maybe I got it wrong on that or I hadn't thought about where my clothes are made before. How awful. They'll open up about this stuff because they've got craft in their hands. And I do worry a lot. I work a lot with young people and lots of different ages, but a lot of young people especially want to have these deep conversations but don't feel like they have any tools to do it so whereas you know my mom and my grandmother will know that craft have some of these benefits because they would have experienced it um a lot of young people haven't done textiles or they've just done machinery textiles or cdt so they don't know that these are great tools for slowing down thinking critically using it as a you know a way to have conversations with people and icebreakers they just think everything is online and they just get thrown online tools and apps rather than being told you know maybe we should stop and think and get offline a little bit so I do yeah I do worry people in such a busy fast-paced world people are craving to do things with their hands and slow down and just not quite sure where to look what are the things that inspire you most in terms of what you see other people doing in the, in, particularly in that world of where activism meets the arts? Well, at the moment, what I, I worry about a lot is people just doing, doing, doing without thinking, which often we do because we've got stresses and deadlines and there's so many things to do. So what I love is when people have spent hours making something that's very thoughtful. You know, they've thought very clearly about what text to put on, who they're going to give something to, the message they want with it. Is it a gift? Is it a, you know, a tool for different things? I just find that fascinating that people have made the time and prioritised the time to say, okay, I'm going to take a step back from this crazy world and think intentionally about what am I doing? How am I feeling? You know, the buzzword of being a bit more mindful is a good thing as long as we don't navel gaze, which mindfulness isn't about, but sadly the Western world has, um, you know, co-opted that word so it feels a little bit individualistic. So for an example, I guess, you know, Lucy's book, I saw Lucy at our well-making event a few weeks ago and the time and energy she spent on creating this lovely book and meeting thoughtful people and she made the book not because she had a massive book deal with a deadline and a big advance, but she saw a need for creating a tool that would encourage and empower and equip people to, you know, be intentional and be more thoughtful on the actions they take and how they treat people and what we can do as global citizens as well as local neighbours. I just, yeah, always keeps me going. Do you know of many... Um transition groups who have kind of overlapped with or got involved with your with, with the sort of craftivism and if and if if so which and if not you know what what would be your advice for any transition group reading this thinking oh well, that sounds really good where where would they start I have I get 
I mean, I, yeah, I get lots of emails and I remember getting some from transition groups, but I can't remember at the moment who they are, which is awful. Um, but yeah, I get lots of interest. And I think, I think it's, so people tend to immediately think craftivism is, have you heard of yarn bombing? It's also called knitting graffiti. So, so often people think craftivism is knitting around lampposts because if you Google craftivism, that sort of comes up first. And I think when, well, any group or individual I talk to when they say, what can I do? I always remind them that craft should be the tool to do activism where it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate to do craft. It needs to be a march or a petition or a quick action or something. But use it as a tool for activism rather than have craft as the taskmaster. So if you love craft, it's very tempting to squeeze your love of craft into, I'll, I'll use it for a good political cause. And we need to stop ourselves from doing that and be much more strategic and say, OK, what's the best use? So for some transition town networks, it might be if you're setting up a new group and you want to break the ice, get everyone to bond together, then our footprints is a lovely one to do where you get to know each other while you're stitching. You talk about what message you're going to put on your footprint. What are you most passionate about? How do you want the group to work? What can you offer the group? What do you, you know? It's really it's a lovely comforting tool to think about. Um, uncomfortable issues of global change but also how we can be effective together and have those conversations but there's also ways you know we've got kits that people get to do our little mini protest banners where if you want your you know if you're aiming for your town to to you know really change its ways then you can plant these small bits of street art off eye level that provoke not preach and it could be a really lovely way to get people noticing that you've got this transition network who are trying to change the world for the better but you're doing it in a very gentle other than what we tend to do as our default which is craft let's make a massive banner and scream down megaphones and tell people we're here and you should join us you know that doesn't tend to work so much nowadays it's much more about individual conversations and word of mouth and being a little bit more sneaky so people don't feel like you're vying for their attention like everyone else and I think craft is a very slow organic tool to sort of see you know see what can happen but be patient with it you know use it as a slow and meditative tool don't just try and go big and loud which is the obvious actually what's often more effective is the small quiet humble actions